Section 21 of A Year Amongst the Persians by Edward Granville Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. A Year Amongst the Persians by Edward Granville Brown. Section 21 Next day, a short march of about three hours brought us to the post-house of Sorme. On arriving there, I was surprised to see a European traveller standing at the door, who greeted me in English. He proved to be one of the telegraph staff at Shiraz, travelling up to Esfahan and Tehran, and kindly offered me a share of the Bala Khane, upper room, which was the only respectable apartment in the post-house. Even that was horribly cold and draughty, for a violent wind was still blowing. Notwithstanding this, we spent a very pleasant evening together, and, by combining our resources, managed to produce a very respectable supper. Next day, after a leisurely breakfast, we parted on our respective roads. The wind had dropped, the sky was cloudless, and the sun very powerful. We could see the road stretching away straight before us for three parasangs or so, when it took a sudden turn to the left, round an angle of the mountains. As we advanced, very slowly, owing to the sorry condition of our beasts, the plain gradually narrowed and became broken by great crests of rock rising abruptly out of the ground the mountains on the right west grew gradually higher and higher and their summits were now crowned with snow on reaching the angle of the road above mentioned we halted by some rocks for lunch the spot was not devoid of beauty which was enhanced by the numerous pink and crimson blossoms of the camel-thorn shah pasand which grew in profusion round about on leaving this place we began to ascend and continued to do so till about four p m we reached the disconsolate stone caravanserai of khanekhore which stands quite alone and apart from other habitations. It was crowded with people of all sorts, Bakhtiaris and other tribesmen on their migrations towards their summer quarters, people who had come out from Shiraz and elsewhere to meet the new governor and do him honour, and a certain small contingent of ordinary travellers. I might have had some difficulty in obtaining quarters if my acquaintance of the previous day had not informed me that there was a special room in the caravanserai set apart for members of the telegraph staff, which I might have by applying to the caravanserai keeper for the key. I did so, and thus obtained a warm, snug room, where I might otherwise have been compelled to put up with the most miserable quarters. Though the caravanserai was in the most ruined and filthy condition, the ground being strewn with dead camels and horses in various stages of decay, 
the scene was not lacking in interest owing to the strange costumes and stranger appearance of the tribesmen the women do not cover their faces and many of them are endowed with a certain wild beauty after tea i had a visit from the postmaster naeb chapar who came to consult me with some disorder of the chest from which he was suffering he soon however forgot the object which had brought him and wandered off into a variety of topics which he illustrated with a surprising number of quotations from the poets it was only when he rose to depart that he again recurred to his ailments his dreamy abstracted manner had already led me to suspect that he was a votary of opium and other narcotics and in reply to a question to this effect he answered that he did occasionally indulge in a pipe of teryag when depressed in spirits perhaps you take hashish now and then for a change i asked well he replied i don't deny that i do now and then of course you smoke the kalyan too yes he said what else is there to do in this desolate spot where there is no society except these tribesmen well i said i wish very much that i could do anything for you but the state of the case is this the essential principle of treating diseases is to remove their cause and unless this can be done it is very little use to give medicines now smoking galions in excess disorders the chest and i understand that you do smoke them very often whether the opium and hashish which you also take are answerable for the evil in any degree i can't say but at any rate it is scarcely likely that they do you any good just now you quoted this couplet from hafez dehqan sal khorde che khosh goft ba pesar kay noor chashm man bejoz az keshte nadravi how well said the aged farmer to his son o light of my eyes thou shalt not reap save that which thou hast sown now people who sow kalyans opium and hashish necessarily reap bad chests and i am afraid that unless you can manage to give them up or at any rate confine your indulgence in them to moderate limits your chest will not get any better do you think you can do this you are right he replied convinced i feel sure more by the quotation from hafez than by anything else and i will try to follow your advice so saying he departed and left me alone next day we started early as the muleteers were anxious to break a stage that is to go three stages in two days so that our halting place for the night was not to be dehbid where there is a telegraph station but khonekhergon situated some two hours march beyond it our road continued to ascend almost till we reached dehbid and once or twice we enjoyed a fine view to the east across the plain of abarquh 
to the great range of mountains beyond which lies the city of Yazd. We were joined for some distance by a dark stalwart man who turned out to be a Qasid, courier, carrying letters from Abade to Bavanat. He was conversationally inclined, and told me tales of encounters with wolves and other wild animals which abound in these mountains. But the dialect which he spoke was difficult to comprehend, and prevented me from profiting by his anecdotes as fully as I might otherwise have done. Suddenly we came to a road crossing ours at right angles, and thereupon our companion took a long draught from our water bottle, and, without a word of farewell, disappeared in a valley leading down into the plain of Abargu. After his departure, Haji Safar entertained me with a long disquisition on Qasids and their marvellous powers of endurance. He assured me that one had walked from Tehran to Shiraz in five days, while another had gone from Bushir to Shiraz in two days. He added that the latter had come near forfeiting his life for his prowess, because Prince Farhad Mirza, then governor of Fars, hearing of his exploit, had said, such a man had best be put to death forthwith for one who can go on foot from here to bushir in two days might commit murder or highway robbery and be in another province before his crime was even discovered i am fain to believe that this was only a grim jest on the part of farhad mirza at any rate the sentence as i was informed was not carried out the wind, which had been gradually increasing in strength since the morning, began now to cause us much annoyance, and indeed Dehbid, as I subsequently learnt by experience, is one of the windiest places in Persia. Hauji Safar, however, declared that in this respect it was far behind Dom Khan on the Mashhad road. This is but a place which the wind visits at times, he remarked, but it lives there, its abode is in a well, and any one can arouse it at any time by throwing dirt or stones into the well when it rushes out in anger. Our road was redeemed from dreariness by the variety of beautiful flowers with which the advancing spring had bedecked the upland meadows. I noticed particularly the wild hyacinth, Sonbole Biobaoni, and the sight of its long, narrow, dark leaves enabled me better to understand the appositeness of the comparison between it and the tresses of the beloved so often made by the Persian poets. It was nearly one thirty p.m. when we reached Dehbid, a small village consisting of about fifteen or twenty cabins, a very dilapidated caravanserai, a post-house, and the telegraph office. To the latter I at once made my way, and was welcomed very cordially by Mr. and Mrs. Blake. 
they expressed great regret on learning that i could not stop with them for the night and repeatedly pressed me to do so with a hospitality so evidently genuine that i would gladly have altered my plans and relinquished the idea of breaking a stage had that been possible but the muleteer had gone on with my baggage and i was therefore compelled to adhere to my original intention contenting myself with a halt of three or four hours for rest and refreshment it was beginning to grow dusk when i again set out and the gathering shades of evening warned me that i must bestir myself especially as the muleteer was no longer with us to direct our course mr blake kindly volunteered to ride some distance with me to put me in the right way and this offer i was glad to accept crossing the little river just beyond the village we saw a flight of about a dozen storks and farther on four gazelles half a mile or more to the west of the road stood an old withered tree close to a ruined caravanserai and this spot as mr blake informed me was reputed to be haunted by a white lady but with the details of this superstition he was unable to acquaint me when we had ridden a farsakh my host bade me farewell and turned back whereupon we quickened our pace so as to make the best use of what daylight still remained long before we reached our halting-place however it was quite dark and we were left to pick our dubious way by the light of the stars and a crescent moon so that it was more by good luck than good management for the road had here dwindled to the merest track that we were finally apprised by the barking of dogs of the proximity of human habitations in five minutes more we crossed a bridge and found ourselves at the solitary caravanserai of khaunekhergaun as it was quite dark and i was moreover very cold and tired i had no opportunity of making any observations on the nature of the place or its inhabitants that night but on the following morning i discovered that here also were domiciled multitudes of tribesmen on their way to their summer quarters on the road which wound through beautiful grassy valleys bedecked with sweet spring flowers we met many more all bound for the highland pastures which we were leaving behind us and a pretty sight it was to see them pass stalwart hardy-looking men with dark weather-beaten faces lithe graceful boys clothed in skins and tall active women with resolute faces not devoid of a comeliness which no veil concealed they were accompanied by droves of donkeys bearing their effects and flocks of sheep and goats which paused here and there to nibble the fresh grass early in the afternoon we descended into the valley of Morgalb, and passing the hamlet of that name a well-built and thriving-looking village pleasantly situated by a beautiful clear streamlet halted at deheno some three miles farther on the feeling of regret 
at not having sought for a lodging at the former which the first sight of the somewhat squalid appearance of the latter caused me was at once removed when i learned that the group of ancient ruins generally identified with the site of the city of pasargadai on european maps and known to the persians as takht -e suleiman the throne of solomon and masjid -e maudar -e suleiman the mosque of the mother of solomon was situated within a few minutes walk of the village as it was not much past four o'clock in the afternoon i determined at once to visit them and thus to obtain a general idea of their appearance and arrangement reserving a closer inspection of them for the morning they have been so often and so well described that i shall confine myself to a brief account of the more salient features leaving Deheno on the south or shiraz side the first object of interest reached is the takht -e suleiman this consisting of a large platform faced with masonry projects from the face of a hill situated a little to the left east of the high road not five minutes walk from the village its frontage must be about one hundred fifty feet and here the conscientious thoroughness and solidity of the masonry is most easily appreciated i noticed the holes for the iron clamps which have themselves been removed noticed by sir r kerr porter and also the peculiar marks on most of the stones which he if i remember rightly was inclined to regard as characters of some ancient language the villager who accompanied me declared that they were marks placed by each mason on the stone at which he had worked in order that the amount of his work and the wages due to him might be proved and i have no doubt that such is their nature at any rate they in no wise resemble the characters of any known alphabet from the platform of the takht de suleiman the whole plain of pasargadai is clearly visible the shiraz road takes a bold sweep towards the west ere it quits the plain and enters the grand defile through which flows the river polvar and all the ruins except the tomb of cyrus or masjedim or daresoleiman as the persians call it are situated within a short distance of it and of one another on the left hand of the southward bound traveller the tomb of cyrus lies about half a mile beyond them on the opposite side of the road it is encircled by a little village and is regarded by the persians as a place of considerable sanctity the first building to which i came on descending from the takht -e suleiman is that called by ker porter or tashkade the fire temple my guide however gave it the name of zendan khawne the prison house it is situated close to the road which it faces and is very solid and massive in structure but bears no inscriptions or carvings the western end of the building only is standing it is about thirty feet high and contains sixteen courses of stones and a window below which is a buttress the next object which presents itself is a solitary square pillar of white stone in twelve courses bearing a cuneiform inscription of four lines of which the second is separated from the third and the third from the fourth 
by a blank space. I could not learn that it had any popular name. A short distance beyond this lies the main group of ruins, called Naqarekhaneyesuleiman, the music hall of Solomon. Amongst these, the most conspicuous object is a very tall, slender column about sixty feet high, white in colour and circular in shape, composed of four stones placed one on the other, the length of each one diminishing from below upwards. This column is quite plain and bears no inscription. There are two or three other pillar-like structures which appear to have formed the corners of the ruined edifice. At the back of each, I noticed the hollowing out of the stone noticed by Kerr Porter. One of them bears on its north face a cuneiform inscription similar to that already noticed on the first column, but containing four or five different characters. On the western side of this group of ruins, that is, on the side facing the road, are the remains of two doorways, each about five feet in width. The stones forming the sides of these are blackish in colour and susceptible of a high degree of polish. They are broken off within two feet of the ground, and on their inner surfaces are carved two pair of feet, both turned towards the entrance. Of these, the outer pair are human feet, the inner pair feet, like those of a bird, both are beautifully executed. A fragment of a similar doorway also exists on the south side, and this is adorned with two pairs of human feet. A little beyond this is a portion of wall standing, some of the stones of which bear marks similar to those observable on the Tach de Soleiman. A little distance to the east of this group of ruins, that is farther from the road, stands a solitary column, on the west side of which is carved in bas-relief the beautiful winged figure described and depicted by Kerr Porter and others. I was still absorbed in delighted contemplation of this when my guide, impatient at the long delay, called attention to the approach of evening, and urged me to return, declaring that it was unsafe to be out in the plain after dusk, and reminding me that I could complete my examination of the ruins next day. With regret I acceded to his request, and reluctantly retraced my steps. On the way back my companion talked freely of the state of the country, and the dismissal of the old Saheb Divan, from the government of Fars, at which he expressed unbounded delight. I asked if the Saheb Divan had been a cruel governor, that he had so aroused the hatred of the people. To this question my guide replied in the negative, alleging his incapacity and lack of integrity as the reason why he was so much disliked. He has made everything dear, he concluded, and we enjoy no sort of protection from the rapacity of the wandering tribes who carry off our cattle and flocks without the least fear of reprisals. Reza Khan, his old enemy, is now encamped between Seydun and Sivand with all his tribe, and has sworn to slay him if he can waylay him on his journey north, in which attempt I, for my part, wish him all success. He has already begun stripping and plundering all the followers and retainers of the ex-governor on whom he can lay his hands, 
including forty of the Zainul Abedin's men, who were sent out to catch him or drive him away, and who came back to Shiraz crestfallen and discomfited with nothing but their shirts. As for the new governor, the Ehdishamuddole, if he is like his father, Prince Farhad Mirza, he will keep things in better order. Indeed, already the marauders have desisted from their raids, and our flocks and cattle are once more safe. So my companion ran on, and I was surprised to see that his fear was not so much that the new governor might be too harsh as that he might not govern the province with a sufficiently firm hand. Next day, on quitting Deheno, I again visited the ruins above described, and, after reluctantly tearing myself away from them, proceeded to explore the tomb of Cyrus. This, as I have already mentioned, is called by the Persians the Mosque of the Mother of Solomon, and is regarded as a holy place, so that I had some fear lest they should prevent me from entering it. This fear fortunately proved to be groundless. Indeed, one of the inhabitants of the adjacent village volunteered to accompany me as a guide, though such assistance was quite unnecessary. The tomb of Cyrus, being built of white stone, forms a most conspicuous landmark in the plain of Pasargadai. It consists of a rectangular roofed chamber of extraordinary solidity situated on a square platform approached on all sides by steep and lofty steps up which one must climb rather than walk to reach the low entrance the building bears no inscriptions in cuneiform or pahlavi characters but numerous Musalman visitors have engraved their names on its walls and steps. I had hitherto imagined that the passion for leaving such memorials of one's visit was peculiar to the West, and reached its highest development with the English and Americans. But not only the ruins of Pasargadai and Persepolis, but every post-house and caravanserai in Persia bear witness to the fact that this habit is hardly less rife amongst the Persians. De Sassi was, I think, the first to direct attention to these interesting relics of former travellers. In presence of the ancient cuneiform characters, which carry us back to the time of the Achaemenian kings, one is attempted to overlook them, though not a few of them date back to the earlier Mohammedan period. The longest of these inscriptions is situated on the wall to the right of one entering the mausoleum. This wall is adorned with a rude mehrab, probably made by those who first conceived the idea of sanctifying the burial place of the ancient fire-worshipping monarch by connecting it with the name of Solomon, on the lower portion of which is cut the word Allah. This is surrounded by a long rectangular border raised into a subsidiary rectangle by the upper side to embrace the mehrab the whole length of which is occupied by a much-worn arabic inscription only legible in parts beginning in the name of god the merciful the clement verily we have opened unto thee 
a perspicuous victory at the left-hand lower corner of this border close to the ground is a neo-persian inscription in arabic characters of an archaic type across the end of the chamber opposite to the door was hung a string on which were suspended ribbons pieces of cloth beads pipe bowls and other votive offerings brought by pious visitors to the shrine and in the corner lay a copy of the quran leaving this mausoleum i turned to descend examining the steps and the inscriptions cut on them on my way some of the stones bore mason's marks similar to those referred to in speaking of the takht suleiman besides these there were a great many neo-persian inscriptions mostly undated or of comparatively recent date some almost illegible others as clear as though cut yesterday around the base of the steps is a small burial ground strewn with fragments of other buildings which have perished at its entrance are two long stones propped one against the other in the shape of an inverted v which form a sort of gate to the enclosure each of these is engraved on its inner surface with a line of arabic in a fine bold character the space left between the two stones is very narrow and their surfaces are worn as smooth as glass by the passage of generations of pilgrims and visitors these stones are supposed to be endowed with healing virtues and my guide informed me that anyone bitten by a mad dog can be cured by crawling through the narrow interstice which separates them to the faith of the people in this theory if not to its truth the high degree of polish on the inner surfaces of the stones in question bore witness turning at length with much reluctance from this interesting spot i again mounted and rode forward and in a few minutes quitted the plain and entered the splendid rocky defile through which the river polvar flows down towards shiraz this defile with occasional widenings into fertile grassy valleys continues to within two stages of shiraz there a little beyond the post-house of Pouzet, its rocky walls fall sharply away to the east and west as it enters the great plain of marvdasht at that point its width is three or four miles in the rocks to the right are the tombs called by the persians nagshirostam on the left opposite to these are the sculptures of nagshirajab the ruins of estakhr and just round the angle formed by the kuherahmat mount of mercy the stupendous remains of persepolis of which i shall shortly have to speak this defile of the polvar offers some of the finest and most picturesque views in persia the rugged cliffs which hem it in on either side the rushing river meandering through fertile meadows under the willows which fringe its banks the fragrant shrubs and delicate flowers which at this season perfume the air and delight the eye the gaily plumaged hoopoes the birds of solomon which dart through the clear sunny air 
but most of all perhaps the memories of the glorious past which every footstep awakens all combine to render this one of the most delightful parts of my journey soon after turning into the defile we ascended the rocks to the right for some distance and entered the sangbor rock cutting a passage two or three hundred yards in length just wide enough to admit a man and horse hewn out of the mountainside while marvelling at this enduring triumph of the engineering skill of ancient persia a vision arose in my mind's eye of gorgeously apparelled horsemen spurring in hot haste with messages to or from the great king through the rock cutting i pictured to myself the white temples and lofty halls of pasargadai first bursting on their sight and sighed inwardly as i thought of that departed splendour and of the fickleness of fortune which has taken away the very tomb of cyrus from him to bestow it upon solomon soon after leaving the sangbor i was startled almost frightened by the sudden apparition of four or five armed men who sprang out from behind a rock and barred my progress the reports which i had heard of the disturbed state of farce the turbulence of its inhabitants and the deeds of reza khan flashed through my mind and i was in full expectation of a summons to surrender my money or my life which i was reassured by a humble request on the part of the spokesman of the party that i would be kind enough to remember the poor tofank chi who watched over the safety of the roads i was so relieved that i readily gave him what he desired and it was not till i had passed on and these guardians of the peace had once more hidden themselves in their ambush that i was struck by the ludicrous nature of the proceeding imagine policemen or sentinels in england hiding behind rocks and leaping out on the passing traveller to ask him for a present in recognition of their vigilance about midday i halted in a pleasant meadow by the river for lunch the infinitely varied shades of green and red exhibited by the willows just bursting into foliage the emerald hue of the grass and the pleasant murmur of the rushing river flowing past me rendered the spot charming beyond all description Haji Safar, whose spirits appeared to rise higher and higher as he drew nearer to Shiraz, for, whatever he may say, in his heart of hearts, every Shirazi thinks his own native city incomparable and peerless, was in high good humour, a fact which always disclosed itself by his giving me a better meal than usual, and on this occasion he went so far as to kindle a fire and make some tea which he brought me triumphantly when i had finished eating reluctantly quitting this delightful spot we again continued on our way through scenery as varied as it was grand and presently passed through one of the wide cliff-girt valleys into which the polvar defile here and there expands 
here the rich pastures were dotted with groups of black tents belonging to the wandering tribes Ilyot, moving northward into the mountains while their flocks of sheep and goats tended by dark-eyed graceful shepherd boys moved hither and thither over the plain leaving this happy valley we entered another defile which brought us a little before six p m to the village of sivand in which is situated the last telegraph station before shiraz here i was received with the utmost kindness by mr and mrs whittingback whose little boy had ridden out to meet me some while before for i was expected earlier next morning i did not start till about ten o'clock being unwilling to leave the hospital roof of my kind entertainers the post-road to shiraz continues on the left bank of the river but as i wished to visit the inscriptions on the rocks above hajiabad which lies on the opposite side we forded the stream and following the western bend of the valley thus shortening our day's march by nearly a parasang soon after midday the village of hajiabad came in sight and as i was uncertain as to the exact position of the inscriptions i began carefully to scrutinize the rocky cliffs to the right in the hopes of discerning some trace of them presently i detected a small squarish hole hewn in the face of the rocks some distance up the side of one of the mountains which at this point receded considerably from the road and at once proceeded to scramble up to it as usual the clearness of the atmosphere led me to underrate the distance and it was only after a long and hot climb that i finally reached the spot where to my disappointment no inscription was visible nothing but the shallow excavation which in the distance looked like the mouth of a tunnel for what purpose and by whom it was made i do not know but i saw several similar excavations in the neighbourhood disappointed in my search i again descended to the foot of the mountains and continued my way along their base eagerly scanning the rugged cliffs above me i was much afraid that after all i might fail in discovering the object of my search so numerous were the clefts valleys and ravines by which the mountains were indented and intersected at this point presently however i came to the opening of a wider valley running straight up into the hills where it divided into two small glens which ascended to the right and left to lose themselves in the mountain above in the mouth of this valley were pitched two or three tents near which a tribesman was watching his grazing flock accosting him i inquired whether he knew where the writing on the rocks was to be found do you mean the writing or the sculptures he demanded the writing i answered i know that the sculptures are lower down in the valley and what do you want with the writing asked the shepherd suspiciously can you read it no i replied unfortunately i cannot nevertheless i have heard that there are writings from the ancient time somewhere in these rocks and i am desirous of seeing them you can read them i know very well said he and you hope to find treasures there many ferangis come here seeking for treasures however if you must know they are up there and he pointed up the valley 
i wished to ask him in which bifurcation of the valley they were but he had returned to his sheep evidently disinclined to give me any further information there was nothing for it but to explore both of the gullies in question and i began with the one to the right it led me up into the heart of the mountain and after scrambling up amongst huge rugged boulders i finally found myself at the mouth of a most gloomy-looking cavern which appeared to run straight into the hillside from the rocks above and around the water dripped with a sullen plash a few bones scattered on the ground irresistibly suggested the thought that i was in close proximity to the lair of some wild beast and caused me instinctively to feel in my pocket for my revolver while the silence and loneliness of the spot whence i could not even see the road being hemmed in on all sides by beetling rocks made me in no wise sorry to retrace my steps as soon as i was well assured that the object of my search was not to be found there i now proceeded to explore the other ravine which if less gloomy was hardly less imposing than that which i had just quitted as i ascended its sides grew steeper and steeper until approaching one another more and more closely they terminated in sheer precipices at this point several huge boulders lay at their feet seeming to bar all further progress and i was beginning to doubt the advisability of trying to proceed farther when raising my eyes to the rocks on the right i espied some distance up a long depression looking dark in the sunshine on the wall of which i thought i could discern a prepared tablet of cruciform shape hastily ascending to this i perceived with joy that my conjecture was right on the rock forming the back of this hollow was a prepared surface shaped roughly like a cross with thick limbs along the transverse length of which were four tablets hewn in the mountain face of these tablets the two situated to the left were bare having apparently never received the inscriptions for which they were destined but each of the other two bore an inscription of some length in pahlavi characters the inscriptions in question have been fully treated of by haug in his admirable essay on the pahlavi language and it is therefore unnecessary for me to say more of them in this place than that one of them is sosonion and the other is chaldeo pahlavi that both belong to the reign of shapur i the son of ardashir babakan the founder of the dynasty and that consequently they date from the third century of the christian era having satisfied my curiosity i returned to haji safar who was awaiting me with the horses in the road and we proceeded in a straight line towards the village of zangavar situated on the same side of the river as haujiabad nearer the end of the valley where i proposed to halt for the following day as it forms the best starting point for visiting persepolis and the rock sepulchres of Naqshirostam. our progress was however soon checked by innumerable streams and ditches and we were compelled to return to the road skirting the base of the mountains on the western side of the valley 
annoying as this delay at first appeared it was in truth a most fortunate occurrence for while looking about for signs of a path which would lead us more directly to our goal i suddenly caught sight of a large cruciform excavation on the face of the rock which i at once recognized from the descriptions i had read and the sketches i had seen as one of the tombs of Rostam, on which i had thus unexpectedly chanced Haji Safar seemed scarcely so well pleased as I was, for he well knew that this discovery would involve a further delay, and, as the day had now turned cold and windy, he would doubtless fain have reached the halting place as soon as possible. Since an hour or two of daylight still remained, however, it was obviously out of the question to waste it, and as I knew that the morrow would be all too short, fully to explore the wonders of persepolis i was anxious to get a clear impression of the monuments which so thickly beset this angle of the valley accordingly i spent about an hour in examining and taking notes of these a delightful hour which passed only too quickly the monuments in question are well known to all travellers and antiquarians and have been fully described in many books so i shall content myself with merely enumerating them they are as follows one four rock sepulchres dating from achaemenian times externally these present the appearance of crosses cut in the rock with limbs equal in length and about half as wide as they are long the aperture affording access to the inner gallery which corresponds to the horizontal limbs of the cross in length height and position is near the centre of the interior i shall have to speak shortly two pillars carved out of the rock stand on either side of this aperture which is forty or fifty feet above the ground the upper limb of the cross is adorned with sculptured symbols amongst which is a fire altar surmounted by a crescent moon a priest engaged in devotional exercises and over all the winged figure girt with the symbol of infinity which forms so constant a feature in the achaemenian tombs are most conspicuous two six tablets bearing inscriptions and bas-reliefs of sasanian workmanship close to the first of these proceeding from the north southwards is a modern persian inscription bearing the date a h eleven twenty seven a d seventeen fifteen which is already almost as much defaced as the sasanian inscriptions by the side of which it stands and far more so than the exquisite cuneiform of the achaemenians this is not the only place where the kings of modern persia have adopted this time-honoured means of perpetuating their fame a similar tablet bearing a bas-relief of the king on horseback spearing a lion as well as a neo-persian inscription also barely legible may be seen in the rocks to the north of what is generally regarded as the city of ray near tehran i believe that it was cut by the order of fat ali shah another and a much better tablet containing besides a persian inscription bas-relief portraits of the present shah by whose command it was cut surrounded by his ministers forms a conspicuous object on the rocks above the admirably constructed new road leading through mozandaran from the capital to Amol, about two stages south of the latter town this will be further noticed in its proper place
of the six sasanian tablets most of which are commemorative of victories over the romans and one or two of which bear long pahlavi inscriptions the first is adjacent to the neo-persian inscription noticed above and stands about halfway between the first and second rock tombs but close to the ground the second is placed under the second rock tomb the third between the second and third rock tombs the fourth under the fourth rock tomb and the fifth and sixth one above the other just before the angle formed by the falling away of the cliffs to the west where the valley enters the plain of marv dasht three opposite the last rock tomb on the other side of the road which runs close to the face of the cliff is a square building of very solid construction bearing some resemblance to the tomb of cyrus this can be entered by climbing without much difficulty it is called by the villagers Ka'be-Zaratosht, the kaaba of zoroaster four on a summit of the rocks which form the angle of the valley is a cylindrical pillar about five feet high sunk in a socket cut to receive it this is called Dasteye Pirezan, the old woman's pestle. 5. Beyond the angle formed by the junction of the Polvor Valley with the Marv Dasht, and consequently concealed from the sight of one standing in the former, are two altars, each about four and a half feet high, hewn out of the solid rock. These are well described and figured by Kerr Porter. The above list comprises all the remains included by the Persians under the name Naqshirostam, and, with the exception of a brief description of the interior of one of the rock tombs, which I shall shortly attempt, I shall say no more about them, since they have been exhaustively described by many writers far more competent in this matter than myself. While engaged in examining the Naqshirostam, we were joined by a villager who had been collecting a plant called Kangar in the mountains. Some of this he gave to Haji Safar, who cooked it for my supper. It is by no means unsavoury, and resembles celery more than anything else I can think of. The villager proved to be a native of Zangavar, the village whither we were bound and on learning that i proposed to spend the morrow there so as to explore the antiquities in the neighbourhood he offered to obtain the help of one or two other men who by means of a rope would haul me up to the platform of one of the rock tombs so as to enable me to examine its interior end of section twenty one recording by nicholas james bridgewater recorded in london england